Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis and the cicadas outside that are making a lot of annoying noise. So I apologize for that. It is summer in the Chicagoland area, and these things are everywhere and they are very loud, but they'll be part of the show, I guess, part of the background. Uh, so today we have some news we want to talk about. We also have the Cubs wrapping up another successful homestand before they head on the road again. Dun, dun, dun. So stick around. We got a lot to talk about. Adam, how you doing? Well, thanks. And yourself? Good to hear. Good to hear. I'm just fine. Just fine. Uh, so uh, today, let's first talk about today's game because it was a pretty big game. The Cubs, who won the first game by the skin of their teeth against the A's in game one, got thumped last night in game two. At least we got to see Taylor Davis pitch and Kyle Schwarber catch. That was kind of fun, but other than that, it really wasn't fun. But today, the bats come out. Ian Happ shows why he's here. They win 10-1. to 1. It was really kind of the perfect game for the Cubs. You had the Cubs getting guys on base. You had them being driven in. You saw some power from Ian Happ, Caratini. You saw Jose Quintana have a really good game. Seven innings, one run against a very hot lineup. I mean, all in all, it was a really good day for the Cubs because a lot of bad news has been circulating around this team. We'll get into a lot of the good stuff, but when I mean bad news, I mean, I'm talking injuries. Uh, So there's a lot to compensate there. Wilson Contreras is going to be out for at least a month. You have Pedro Strope needing to come back because Kinsler is hurt. Your closer, Craig Kimbrell, is hurt. You're dealing with a ton of injuries. Before we go to the injuries, Adam, what did you think of this series against the A's? That was a, a, a good series win, um, especially since the Cardinals have lost a couple games straight now. They're, the Cubs are kind of starting to add on to their central lead a little bit here, and the A's are a good ball club. I mean, Yes, they are. And before last year, he wouldn't have that would that wasn't the case. But the A's the A's are a good team. They've got a better record than the Cubs do, uh, and that that was a good series win. I know last night's game was a big clunker, but you know still they took two out of three from a really good team, uh, and you saw some really good things from some players. Hendricks pitched phenomenally in game one. That I mean that was really yeah. a stellar performance. And then like you said, Quintana pitched really really well today uh so that was that was good to see and then you've got guys like Kyle Schwarber I mean Schwarber had a tremendous homestand yes he a did really tremendous homestand I mean he he really played well um I mean and you, and you saw Chris Bryant too I think he you have a two homer night uh he had a home run last night I must be thinking of this the the Brewers series when he had a two home run game but uh, yeah, I mean, other than last night's game, it was a good series. Um, I guess that raises some bullpen concerns, though, because they should have won game one easily, and the bullpen made it interesting. But other than that, I mean, you, you look at the big picture. They took two out of three from a really good team. They're in first place. So it, at the end of, at the end of the day, you got to be happy with that. Yeah, so that game one with the bullpen, uh, that was when Craig Kimbrell was out. It was before Kinsler hurt, I think, what was it, a pec muscle? or a la- I think it was a pec muscle. Uh, there was, like, some soreness there. He did pitch in that game, but you saw the damage come against Steve Ciszek, and the moment he came into the game and threw a pitch, you knew he didn't have it. 
the velocity was down. There was practically no movement to any of his pitches. I mean, it was a disaster in the weights, and it ended up being one for him. Luckily, they won, but still, it, it you could tell he didn't have his good stuff. I mean, right now, who do you trust the most in that pen? Kinsler's hurt. Kimbrell's hurt. C-Sheck looks like he's out of gas, but I still think C-Sheck will give you good innings if he just rests up a little bit. I mean, me personally, I'm really liking Rowan Wick right now. I He looks great. Well, that's who I was going to say, too. So, Stole your thunder a little bit. Uh, yeah. The other guy I wanted to talk about, too, was Kyle Ryan. Uh, Kyle Ryan got a lot of crap from the fan base early on when he gave up some really fluky runs that weren't really his fault or, like, you know, inherited guys. But the truth of the matter is, Kyle Ryan has been very reliable for you this year. I've actually really liked what we've seen from him. It's just, it's hard now because if you only have a few guys you can kind of trust right now, going on this road trip, man, for in Cincinnati where you've played very poorly at, you go to Philadelphia and the, the Philadelphia Athletics, Athletics, wow, sorry, the Philadelphia Phillies, that was the A's a long time ago. Uh, the uh, the Phillies have been reeling a bit, but there's still no slouch of a team. They can turn things around. Then you're going to play a god-awful Pirates team who is probably going to frustrate the heck out of you. But this is what worries me the most. Going on the road, having to face the bullpen, where it's already been a disaster on the road with your top guys and without a lot of your top guys now, it's it's a little scary. Yeah, there's there's not really anyone in that bullpen that I've trusted from the beginning of the season up until now. They, I mean, they've all had their moments, and there there really isn't one guy who I feel totally and completely confident in when he comes into the game. Everybody makes me a little bit nervous at this point. Uh, and this, this kind of goes back to the starting pitching, too. I know they've been better lately. Uh, but the situation that the Cubs are in right now, they really need to get seven innings out of their starters more often than they are. Because when you when you have to rely on this bullpen for almost half a game, it's just big leads start to go away pretty quickly. And so yeah. that's that's a concern for me moving forward. That's why today's start by Quintana was so big. You go seven innings, uh, so you only have to rely on the bullpen for two. And it was the perfect perfect time to bring Pedro Stroh back and put him in a non like dire situation. I, that was really important. The other thing I just noticed too, looking at the box score, Quintana only gave up two hits in seven innings. I mean, that's really, really impressive. Seven strikeouts, no walks. So the fact that he was able to give you those seven innings uh, set up just the only the two and no pressure on either Phelps or Strope. If Strope came back today and it was like a 4-3 game, I think things might have been a little different, but with no pressure, it was ideal. Yeah, I think I think so too. And, you know, it's it's going to take some time, I think, for Strope to find his groove again, and I'm sure people are going to freak out if he has a bad outing and things go awry. But uh, if they could get... If they could get him back going again, looking more like his former self, that would be a huge boost for them down the stretch. Um, but overall, I just I, I don't trust this bullpen. I think they've got one or two guys uh, who are 
fairly consistent, but I really don't think they have anyone that you're totally comfortable with in a high leverage situation. If Craig Kimbrell had a full spring training and just was here like in the off season, I wouldn't Maybe. worry about him, but yeah, right but that's now, not the case. And no. honest and Kimbrell is one of the guys I'm least comfortable with to be, to be honest with you. Or right now it's like, you feel like anything could blow up in his face. I, I mean, I, I've said this before. Kimbrell overall has done his job. He's blown I mean, two saves. One is really his fault, but still, you see some of the rust no matter what. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad they got him, and I'm and I'm I think they got him at a good price. But I mean, the fan reaction to him not being signed for so long. I mean, you you look at it now, and it's it's like, huh. Well, I guess there mu- there must have been a reason for that. And maybe we're seeing that unfold here, that maybe teams weren't so stupid and it wasn't collusion and the reason why it took so long to sign him because for for uh, $100 million, I mean, it is, it, what he's done so far for the Cubs, does that, look like, does that look like $100 million to you? Well, and especially for like six years for a because guy who's I, over 30. Because I think what's happening right now is what a lot of teams were kind of cautious. You know, I think they they sort of... We're expecting something like this to happen. You know, the way I look at Kimbrell is I'm like, okay, he gives up a lot of base runners. The stuff looks really good. He's missing bats. The stats are really ballooned from two terrible outings. One was in a garbage situation where they were down like 18 to four, whatever the final score of that game was. I think probably just the really bad moment for Kimbrell was in Milwaukee when he gave up the home run to Yelich and then the game-winning two-run shot right after that. Uh, but, you know, with an injury now, you, you got to worry about that too a little bit, even when he comes back. It's like, okay, is he fully healthy? You, you hope. Um, th- this whole bullpen thing has also spurred the conversation. Are we ever going to get Brandon Morrow back? Because, you know, the, the Cubs front office keeps saying how they're really working to get him back, but... Even if you get Brandon Morrow back, is he going to be the same Brandon Morrow? I don't know. I highly doubt it. And, you know, people have been saying there's some reports out there, I guess, that he's confident or at least hopeful that he Mm -hmm. can return in 2019. I'm I'm not holding on to any hope for that at all. At, At this point, I'm completely expecting him to not. I think his I think his Cubs career is over. Uh, if I was a betting man, I'd say he never throws another pitch for the Cubs again. That's the way I see it playing out. I hope he can make it back this year. Uh, I don't see that happening. And even if he did, I ju- I don't think he would be a dominant reliever. The way I see it is, I think there's a solid chance that he does pitch again. I'm just A, not necessarily counting on it, and B, not really betting on him being the guy he once was. It just, it's still still is a huge shame to me because when he did pitch last year, he was really dang good. He was really yeah. good. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing is if he does come back and, you know, people are acting like he'll just pick up right where he left off. And yeah. I, I don't see that being the case at all. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think that's going to be really tough to do. If he was maybe 27, 28, That'd be one thing, but he's like 40. It's it's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, there's something to think about there. And then, obviously, you look at the other guys. You know that Derek Holland is either a loogie or just an innings eater. He's one of the two. He's not going to go in there and dire think, for situations. It's I think just he'll be not... all right. I, I, think he, I think they'll pretty much use him only to face lefties, and he's, he's proven that he's, he's fairly reliable in that situation. So. Right. I mean, it's a good situation to fill in, but it's not like you could rely on him in like a big situation where the bases are, are loaded with one out. Maybe if you have a left-handed hitter up there, but if like you're trying to get the save, you know, it's, it's a little different. Um, but yeah, I mean, so far, you know, the runs he's given up was again in mop-up duty when they were getting killed in St. Louis uh, I mean, who else? Phelps. You don't have much of a sample size on him. I don't think you could rely on him all that much. A lot of changes have happened in this bullpen, a lot due to injuries. But, I mean, right now I'd say my top guys who are healthy are Wick and Kyle Ryan, just as we all predicted, right? Yeah, not so much. So that's the bullpen. That's probably the biggest downside right now. Let's talk about the offense. Because the offense, once again, at Wrigley Field, looks like the juggernaut we all expected. And part of it, I think, is because Theo made the right moves. Nick Castellanos fits this team like a glove. And I know there were people concerned about his defense. I look at his defense out there. I mean, I know it's a small sample size, and knock on wood, before he makes a big gaffe in the outfield that costs them a game, but he looks fine in the in the outfield. He looks fine. Yeah, nothing special, but you know, I don't think he's a liability either. Well, again, I think part of it was Comerica Park. That that park is very different. I mean, he said himself he hated playing there, so. Another reason I think that Castellanos fits this team so well. His bat, though, boy, is that worth it. He continues to lead the league in doubles. He's crushing everything, even the outs. Like, he's crushing everything. He had another double today. I have zero complaints about this guy. I think this was a fantastic pickup. I totally agree. Then we have Tony Kemp, who I think it was Eric Morrow who said this. I think he said it on Twitter. He is just the example of a fine baseball player. He's going to do enough for you to contribute. He's not going to light the world on fire. He's not going to put up eye-popping stats. But he is a fine baseball player that's athletic, that can make plays, that can make contact. It's a nice little depth move right there. I, I thought that was a very smart pickup. Yeah, I do too. He's he's versatile. He he. You know, he, he's, he stays healthy. That I think that was a, a good pickup, too. It's not a not a, a wow-you kind of move, but just one of those under-the-radar moves that can that can pay off in the end. And I, I, I think Kemp is a nice player. I, I think Eric said it pretty much perfectly. Yes, he did. But I think one of the biggest topics of conversation right now, let's talk about Ian Happ. Ian Happ finally came back up, what was it, two weeks ago, roughly? It was about that time. And he's crushed it. If you look at the average in OPS right now, it's 320 and 1.052. Again, small sample size, but 
you look what he's done. Today he had the Grand Slam. The other night he hit a ball nearly 480 feet. And you look at the contact rates. His outs are line drive smoked outs with exit velocities of over 100 miles an hour a lot of the times. He's taking walks. He's getting on base. This kid is ripping it. Is he going to keep this up at this pace? No. No. But he's made an immediate difference. And this, again, this is just a homestand. They looked great on their last homestand, too. So this could be a very big knock-on-wood moment. They may go back on the road and look like crap again, but knock-on-wood, here's my optimistic take. I think they may have finally found their chemistry right here with these guys. I don't know what you think, but I think there may be reason to believe it. I Personally, I don't see much from Ian Happ that, that tells me he's a different ball player than last year when they sent before they sent him down. Uh, I think that so far he's done a really good job of punishing mistakes that pitchers have made. Uh, but I still, from from what I've watched, I still think there's a massive hole in his swing that will get exploited uh, during his time up on the on the big league club this year. And so I I really don't see him hitting anywhere close to 300 by the end of the regular season. I I pretty firmly believe that he's going to end up hitting 220 230 at best. Uh, but, that's fine if he gets but, on base. But slug, even that's fine. even so, if he's going to hit the occasional home run and get on base at a decent clip, that's more than you could get from Addison Russell. So it's Absolutely. still worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I do agree that he's going to hit a slump. There's going to be a hole that's exploited, but I think it's a good argument right now to make that you got to strike the iron while it's hot. If that makes sense, or you got to go with the hot hand. Right now, Ian Happ is hot. You got to stick with him. Kyle Schwarber is red hot. You got to stick with him. You know, right now, Bodie isn't hitting anything. Uh, Daniel Descalso is still hurt. And frankly, I think Daniel Descalso's days are really numbered, especially if Ben Zobris comes back. And we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, yeah, right now, I think adding Castellanos in the two hole has been fantastic. Hayward didn't have any hits today, but I think overall the Hayward leading off experiment has worked pretty well, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, which is funny because it, you know, they've they've tried Hayward in the leadoff spot before, and and it really didn't work out very well then. But he's he seems to be, he seems to be seeing the ball really well right now. And so I I wouldn't, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'd leave him there until until he proves that it's a bad idea. I mean, who else are you gonna put there right? Now, you don't want to keep Schwarber in there. Ever since Schwarber was moved down, he's been killing the ball. I, I you don't never want to move liked back Schwarber up. in the leadoff spot. Never liked him there. Well, I don't think he's going back there anytime soon. Let's just Good. say that. And the other thing with Hayward, too, is the experiment is finally working better because he's having the best year of his career with the Cubs, I should say. I mean, he's having a great year with the Cubs. Uh, the swing looks much better. The contact is much more solid. He's a very smart base runner. Not exactly a speed demon, but he's he's decently nimble out there. So right now he's the ideal guy to have out there at leadoff. Bryant had a good game today. Here's Anthony Rizzo, too. Anthony Rizzo is 284, OPS and 900. I know the home runs haven't come, but look at the way he's just playing for contact. A lot of bloops, dunks into places where the fielder ain't. I I kind of like that almost better than just swinging for the fences with him. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I don't think the the lack of home runs is a, a drop in power. I think that he's just kind of taking what pitchers are giving him. And the other night we saw him beat the shift twice, uh, and he made it look easy too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I hope that that catches on with more because there there's so many players in the league that just outright refuse to even attempt to hit the other way to beat the shift, which is just absolutely ridiculous to me uh, and a little bit absurd, I think. I, I just think that some of the baseball culture we have right now of you have to pull it and you have to you have to try to hit a home. I, I, I just think it's I think it's bad for the game. Uh, and I hope that more players will adopt that that mentality that we've seen from Anthony Rizzo lately of just getting on base is extremely valuable and it does you know it doesn't always have to leave the yard especially in his spot in the order you think about it with Hayward leading off Castellano second Brian at third you figure those guys could get on base he's making contact putting the ball in play that can either move runners along, score a runner, or set the table for Baez, who bats fifth. And, you know, Baez is always going to be a guy that swings hard and swings long. He's not, he's pretty much the anti Anthony Rizzo, but to have Rizzo in that spot, setting up a guy like Baez and then Schwarber, it just it well, makes things work so and well. You got to have it. You got to have some guys who are willing to do that. You can't have a lineup one through eight of guys who are all trying to hit the long bomb. That's how that's you. You you can't live and die by the home run. That's, that's how you get beat out of the playoffs early. Uh, That's, that's how you lose ball games. I mean, that's, I I really, I really do believe that, that you, you, you just can't have too many guys in your lineup who, who think that way. It's funny. You bring up Anthony Rizzo, or at least I brought up Anthony Rizzo, but you brought up postseason. Like winning in the postseason. We saw Rizzo hit a number of home runs in the postseason in 15 and 16. But you look at what he did in the World Series. Some of those key hits in the World Series, he was just hitting line drives. Well, I mean, go back, go, go back and look at a, a lot of the past World Series champions. I mean, you, you'll notice a trend. I mean, you can get hot at the right time, sure, and you could you could ride the long bomb in the postseason if you get hot at the right time, but you're playing with fire there. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that a lot of these past World Series teams that that have won, uh, they won because they were really good at producing runs. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you live and die by the home run, that's a good way to get blown out of the playoffs real quickly. Yeah, and I mean, you saw the Astros hit a butt ton of home runs in 2017, but that Astros team is just unreal, and they were also playing at Minute Maid Park, so a lot of those bombs just found the Crawford boxes. But yeah, I I do agree that you need a guy like Rizzo in there, a guy who I've said multiple times on this show could easily just forget the contact and swing for the fences. His average in OBP would be down, but he'd probably hit 45, 50 home runs. But I don't think he should change a darn thing about what he's doing right now. It's it's great to see. I don't it's it's better. I mean, what would you rather have? Anthony Rizzo with 40 home runs in his in his final stat line or or a veteran player who is willing to manufacture runs to win ball games. I mean, sure, I, I think it would be cool if Anthony Rizzo was a 40-home run guy. But, I mean, you, you got to have guys who are willing to manufacture runs. Put this in perspective. Rizzo does it all at the plate. Look how many times he sacrifices power for contact, whether it's choking up, whether it's trying to go the other way, whether it's just kind of sticking the bat out, whatever. 
the fact that he does that so often, but is still normally like a 31 home run hitter shows how much power he does have in his arsenal. He could break that out a lot more if he wanted to, if he didn't want to sacrifice all that contact. I, I just, I think his great key is that he balances everything so well. When he swings for power, it could go a long way. When he wants to make contact, he'll make contact. If he wants to try to beat the shift, he he's found ways to beat the shift. It's a really nice balance with him. To be, That's a complete hitter. I think so, too. So going forward, we see another trade being made. Not a trade, I should say. It's a signing. You can't make trades right now. Uh, the trading is over. I, I believe it's unless there is a minor league deal with the player or it was like a DFA. I mean, there's some rule to that, but the old days of post uh, non-waiver deadline, you know, those rules have changed. Uh, so the Cubs made a move today. They signed Jonathan Lucroy, the ex-Angel, who was released by the team not too long ago. Jonathan Lucroy, as everyone remembers, was a longtime Brewer, two-time All-Star. And since 2015, he's really kind of bounced around, and he's not the player he once was. This year, he's batting 242, 310, 371. He's a negative .2 war player. He's gone through a lot this year. I think it was pretty clear that his time with the Angels was coming to an end. But uh, just what do you think of this move in general before we get into more specifics? I mean, how do you feel about it? Well, I think, you know, just given the Cubs' current situation of not having Wilson Contreras for a few weeks, I I think they had to do it. I think it made perfect sense Mm -hmm. to do this. I'm glad they did it. It doesn't really excite me, though, either, because, I mean, it's, you know, Luke Roy's uh, just kind of a marginal hitter, which is fine from a catcher. Uh, but he's also probably a below-average defender. He's not a very good pitch framer. So I, I think they they got him just because they really didn't have any other choice. Yeah, I think right now the wise thing to do is to get a veteran. I know we like Taylor Davis. He's fun. But Taylor Davis is a guy you bring up for like a few days if you need to fill a spot or maybe a week. If, if you're looking down the stretch and you know you're not going to have your main catcher, and you know that Victor Caratini is going to be the number one guy. Having a veteran backup, I think, is is very important. You know, this is a guy that was once an 8.1 F4 player in 2014. Before that, 6.8. Before that, 6.2. Before that, 5.9. This guy, when he was in Milwaukee, used to be one of the best of the best out there. Unfortunately, those days are over. And they're probably not coming back. But my hope is that he could at least be serviceable as a Cub. I think he brings good you know, veteran leadership, if you want to really buy into the value of that. I think he can see some better numbers personally behind the plate with a better pitching staff. you got to remember he caught a very poor Angels staff. I think maybe being around a winning ball club could help him a bit. You know, he's gone through some personal things. He's lost some people in his life, which is very sad. Uh, You know, this may be an opportunity for him to just have a fresh start. Don't expect anywhere near the old Jonathan Lucroy, but I think he can be a nice little piece on this team. Yeah, we said that about Cargo, but I still think that Lucroy can offer a bit more than Cargo. I mean, just the position itself, being a catcher, 
you're constantly involved in the action of the game. And when you're a veteran backup like Luke Roy is at this point, you don't have the production expectations of his bat like you would an outfielder. So I don't know if I completely compare those two, but it is another way around a guy who is past his prime and hasn't put up good numbers recently. I mean, that's just kind of how I look at it, but I don't really see any harm this could do, especially with the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think they did it just because they didn't really have many other options. It was the best option they had, and that's that's really all there is to this signing. There is one thing I will say. He's probably a better hitter than Martin Maldonado, even at this point. Most catchers are. Just saying. And Martin Maldonado is going to be a fun little footnote and a trivia question about the Cubs, maybe even a year from now. It's... He was here for, like, what, a week? That's about it. If you could take the bat of Jonathan Lucroy, even though it's not that good these days, and the defense and pitch framing of Martin Maldonado, you'd probably have a pretty dang good backup catcher, all things considering. But, you know, that's not the case here. I thought Martin Maldonado would work wonders with the pitching staff, but Epstein and co. thought, hey, we don't need him, so we're going to trade him away. And then, uh, unfortunately, Wilson Gutierrez got hurt which was really tough to see. I don't know if you saw it happen, but it was rough. It, you could tell right away it was his hammy. Yeah, it's, it's tough. That's guy can't catch a break right now. This spurs a question. If Wilson Contreras is going to continue having injury issues like this, do you think that if you know he signs an extension with the Cubs or whatever, do you think eventually he's just going to completely move positions? I mean, we've seen catchers do it before. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I certainly wouldn't want that to end up being the case either because I think he, his arm is so good behind the plate that I, I really would hate to have to sacrifice that. I mean, that's, throwing down to Baez, that's, that's really a, a nasty duo. Uh, so I, I hope it works out with him behind the plate. I, I'm not overly concerned about the injuries. I, I, I'm not really at a point yet where I think this is going to be a recurring thing. So I, I, I think you get him back, get him healthy, you can play it safe with him uh, for as long as you can and see how it plays out. I mean, here's my concern with Contreras. He's already had a hamstring issue in 2017 around the same time. Last year when we saw him play like a full season, he'd play a lot, you saw him fade away. And then you have another hamstring issue this year. So that is where some of my concern comes in. And I'm not saying, oh, next year he's going to be moving to left field or whatever. But I'm just saying maybe four or five years down the road, when he's in his 30s, and he plays with a lot of energy. He plays with a ton of energy. So you you kind of worry about that sometimes, too. You, you, you risk injury sometimes when that kind of game is being played. So that's another source of my concern, I guess. I hope Wilson Contreras stays as a catcher for as long as we can, because, yeah, his arm behind the plate is really good. His pitch framing is still not that good, but I think we're seeing a little bit of an improvement, at least over time. He's really worked on getting acclimated with his starters, but I I just I think there is a very good chance that we may see him become more of an outfielder 
than a catcher at some point in his career. Yeah, let's let's hope it works out. Another question I wanted to bring up about this Cubs team is, okay, right now you have a nice little lead. It's not huge, but it's a nice little lead you have. Looking forward to this road trip. And to sum it up, you have four in Cincinnati, a day off Monday, three in Philly, three in Pittsburgh. To me, I think minimum, maybe bare minimum, you take three or four in Cincinnati, you take two or three in Pittsburgh, and you take at least one in Philly. That, I think, would be a successful road trip. You don't want to lose that series in Pittsburgh at all. That's just not an option. You don't want to get swept in Philly and Cincinnati, at the very least, you got to split that series. You can't lose a four-game series against the Reds. I know the Reds have a really good pitching staff right now. You added Trevor Bauer. That pitching staff is pretty good. But the fact of the matter is they're still below you in the standings, and you just you still got to go out and beat them when you're in a division race like this. How do you feel about this upcoming road trip? Because I'm nervous, but that's it's mainly be because they've been, they've been so bad on the road. It's going to be tough. Uh, the worst team they'll, they'll play uh, will be the Pirates, obviously. Uh, you would think you'd feel comfortable about the Reds series, but the Reds have kind of owned the Cubs this season, so that's, that's not a sure thing at all, especially on the road. Uh, the Phillies could be an interesting series. I know, you know, the Phillies are not nearly as good as people thought they were going to be. Uh, I'm proud to say I never bought into the Phillies hype. I pretty much thought that they were overrated before last year. I thought they were overrated going into this year, and they're playing pretty much exactly the way I thought they would play. Uh, It's still going to be tough on the road, uh, but that's a very beatable team. Like you said, they should beat the Pirates, but then you get to a San Francisco Giants team that's been pretty hot. Uh, The Nationals are a good ball club. The Mets are the hottest team in baseball, it seems like. Uh, so I, I think uh, of these six series coming up, I think you just got to win four of them. And it, it doesn't really matter which ones uh, until y- you get to the Brewers, I think. Yeah, if you look at that Milwaukee series, you have three at home against the Brewers, and then you have Fort Miller Park. And that'll conclude your season series against Milwaukee. I have a feeling that four-game series in Miller Park is going to be a lot like 2017, where the division was kind of on the line between the two teams, and the Cubs had the opportunity to put it away, and they did. And then you saw last year, I think it was only three games last year, but that Labor Day series at Miller Park, I mean, things that kind are of diff- swung things. Things are different this year, though, because that last year the Brewers were just one of the hottest teams in the league in all of baseball. Yes, and this and this year the Brewers lately are just entirely mediocre. And I think that's what a lot of us expected to happen. I think you know, with the rotation that they had last year, they really overperformed. Absolutely. And I think I think this year their their record pretty much is in line with what their roster is so I, I think that it's it's advantage Cubs this year. I, oh, I agree. The, Brewer, the Brewers just couldn't be stopped last year at all no. by anyone. No, and they that's caught not, lightning that's, in that's a bottle. Not, that's not the case anymore. This year it feels more. You know, last year it felt like you, you were running into a wall when you faced the Brewers. This year it feels like the Brewers are just kind of hanging on by a thread. 
Right. I, I think it may be more of like that 2017 series where the Cubs had the lead in the division and all they had to do was win a few and put it away. That could pretty much be the case here. Going back to that Milwaukee series in Milwaukee uh, at the end of July, those two blown games. What really irked me about those two games is if you would have won those two and you would have swept Milwaukee twice in like the last two weeks. I mean, you really could have buried them right there. You really could have. Yeah, well, I mean, it does them no good to to think back that far now. Uh, but this season, at least, it feels more like the Cubs are in control of their own destiny. I, I know they, they were last year, too, and they, they kind of let it slip away. Uh, but this the Brewers year, also came behind and just took it from them. That's the way I see it. I mean, the Brewers, the Brewers were just riding one of the most ridiculous hot streaks I can remember, and that's 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 not the case this year. And I don't see that being the case with them either. I just I don't think they have the pitching, and I don't think all of those guys could get hot at the right time. You know, Christian Yelich is gonna he's gonna keep hitting like an MVP. That's that's probably not gonna change. Uh, but Christian Yelich is not going to be enough. And then you've got Lorenzo Cain, who's not having the kind of year he had last year either. Uh, so I, I just I don't think the Brewers have enough to make that kind of surge that they did last year. And so the Cubs really all they have to do is just stay afloat. And it's 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 not going to be a situation where they're going to be feeling this intense pressure from the Brewers. I think. Uh, three weeks from now, I think the, the Cubs will have a, a good, sizable lead over the Brewers. Well, let's put the Brewers aside for a minute and talk about the other team chasing us, the Cardinals. They were hot, now they're not. But they're about to play the Royals and another really bad team. I can't remember who, but they have a really easy schedule over the next week. That's why these coming games are pretty important. You can't let the Cardinals come back again. You had a lead over them. You let them back in. You don't want to do that again. And and again, you look back at that St. Louis series. If you could have won another one of those games, your lead would be even bigger right now. But you are where you are right now. Looking at September, you're going to have a four-game set against the Cardinals at home, and then you end the season in St. Louis. Frankly, I think right now St. Louis is the bigger threat. That's a team that could get hot and could sneak in. I do too. I think they're they've they've got a, a better roster of consistent players than the Brewers do. I'm I would be yep. more worried about the Cardinals than the Brewers at this point. But the Cardinals are are kind of skidding right now though too. I mean they they just got swept by the Dodgers uh, and, and Oakland. I, yeah, and and I know you know they they've got a, a home series with the Pirates coming up, and that's that should be a very winnable series that for them. That was the other team I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. But but I I also think the Cardinals. You know, like the Brewers, I th- I think they're susceptible because of their pitching. And I, so, while while I think that they they've got a better shot than the Brewers, I also don't see the Cardinals as you know turning the Jets on and being world beaters anytime either. I, I you know, and and they they were hot for quite a while, but I think they I think they're kind of coming back down to earth right now. And so the Cubs really, at this point, all they have to do is just beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. And, you know, don't drop a series like Pittsburgh. Don't drop a series to Cincinnati. And I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, I mean, we kind of saw last year the same thing with the Cardinals. Maybe the last several years, when you think about it, they start off mediocre. Then in late, late July, they get really hot. 
then they don't do anything at the deadline and then they cool off again how the rest of the season will end maybe it'll be different i don't know but that's just that's kind of been the trend so far with them with the cardinals i I still though in the back of my mind say to myself they're the cardinals i've always known the cardinals of being those cockroaches despite what the last few years have been they're to me they're still the st louis cardinals and i just i never fully count them out but you said it best. The Cubs have to win the games they're supposed to. I mean, I'm telling up right now the games they have left with the Cardinals and the Brewers. So you have a four-game set and a three-game set against Milwaukee. And the same thing with the Cardinals. Four-game set, three-game set. So in total, you got eight with those four gamers plus add another six. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So the Cubs win nine of those. They win the division. That's how I see it. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but that's how I see it. I I agree with you there. So you figure you you win a lot of the games at home still. I mean, you have two against Seattle. Three against Pittsburgh, three against Cincinnati, three against Washington, three against San Francisco, and then those games against the Cardinals and the Brewers that I mentioned. I mean, that right there, those are the rest of your home games. You can beat San Francisco at home. You should beat up Seattle and Pittsburgh at home. You could take two or three from the Reds at home. And then you do the rest of that, and I think you I think you take that division pretty handily at least hopefully hopefully i think so too i think i think the cubs have a a much better chance this year uh to to win comfortably by the end of this thing than they did last year i mean there there just was no stopping milwaukee last year they've they've got a real chance to win comfortably this year and they they just have to play up to their capabilities milwaukee had to win a division by pulling off something that was statistically next to impossible. I mean, that, that to me, I, I know the offense quote unquote broke. I agree. The offense went down the toilet last year, but you won 95 games. You had a five game lead September and you played like above 500 baseball in September. It literally took an absolute miracle something that is very rare by a team to do what Milwaukee did. I mean, I remember the last maybe two weeks of the season adding up the totals and I'm like, all right, losing this division is going to be next to impossible. And they ended up losing in game 163. You can look back at any one game, whether it was a Brewers loss or a Cubs win. I mean, one little switch and the Cubs would have won the division. That's that's how it was. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If the Cubs don't win the division, it's because the Cubs lost it. Not because the Brewers won it. Not because the Cardinals won it. Because the Cubs lost it. At this point, that's where we're at. Yeah, it was it was the kind of run that you, it's just not repeatable. And I, I think we're we're seeing that this year. That that's just. I don't think what the Brewers did last year was really indicative of the kind of team they have 
and so the, the Cubs have a real opportunity this year that I hope they they don't squander. And no matter how far you get to the playoffs, if you get there, I mean, it would just nice to see them win a division again after last year. One thing I think is really important is I said this last year and it didn't happen because of what we just talked about, but you have to just avoid that dang wild card game. Just yeah, please avoid yeah. it. There's, there's no one I feel comfortable with in a wild card game unless the starters go nine innings, don't go complete game. If the bullpen has to pitch at all in a wild card game, I, I, I have no hope. We were so lucky. In 2015, we had Cy Young Arietta on the mound, on the road. Like, we really were. And that was a young, upcoming team. So just getting to the postseason was, you know, a big deal for them. But at this point, I mean, it, watching the Cubs in the wild card game last year was just, it was so gloomy and bad. Like, it, it wasn't it wasn't even enjoyable sitting down watching postseason baseball when that postseason game is a one-and-done wild card game. It, it's technically making the postseason, but when you lose in a wild card game, you don't feel like you made the postseason. Well, it's. It, I think the the general feeling it, it depends on on what kind of team you have, because I mean, you think back to 2015. I was really, really pumped for that wild card game. Right. Because, sure. because, you, because the Cubs were a year ahead of schedule. They hadn't been a perennial postseason team up until that point. So they were they were just sort of arriving. So in that situation, it's really exciting. And I liked it and I enjoyed it. Uh, but last year, when they are the clearly the best team in the league or in the in their uh, division, and then and then they've won the division two years prior to that, then then it feels different when you feel like they shouldn't be in that game. Right. Right. They really and that's and, and that's where we're at this year too. Is the the Cubs really should not find themselves in a situation where they have to play in a one and done, a winner go home. The other thing about 2015 too, I mentioned Cy Young Arietta going into that wild card game. Unlike other times, maybe with other teams, you felt like you could win that one and done playoff game with Arietta. Like you had all the confidence in Arietta. I mean, I felt pretty good with John Lester on the mound. You look at his postseason numbers, but you figure that he was older. The Cubs just came off losing the division on their own home turf the night before. I think it was Cargo who even said when he came to the Cubs, yeah, that Cubs team did not look confident at all. I think that speaks a lot of volumes. And just that that whole wild card game to me, it felt so numb. Like I was just so numb to it. I wasn't mad when they lost. I was maybe a little sad, but I, I just felt numb after that loss. Like, I didn't know what to feel, so I just kind of didn't feel anything. I don't know about you, but that was kind of my personal experience yeah. of that wild card I, game. Just the way the, the way the season ended for the Cubs, it, it, from the very beginning of that game, it just it sort of felt like they were doomed right from the start. Even when it was a close game, yeah. I mean, it was one to nothing throughout most of it, and then they finally tied it. But going into extra innings, you kind of felt like, okay, it's going to be any minute now that the Rockies break through because the Cubs can't do anything else offensively. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's, I, I really don't think they could have ran into a worse team as far as opposing lineup goes at that no. time anyway. No. Now, at least maybe I could have some comfort in knowing 
if they did win that wild card game, I think the chances are the Brewers would have embarrassed them in the NLDS. At least yeah, I don't know that they I would have gotten swept, but I, I, I would not have picked them to win the next series. No, not the way Milwaukee was playing, not the way the Cubs were reeling. No, I mean, if they were to win that wild card game, they would have really just had to pull it out of their behinds and maybe get a lucky break. But yeah, they weren't going to beat the Brewers. So, I mean, maybe in the end, it was best that they just ripped the Band-Aid off real quick. Yeah, I mean, imagine it's one thing getting the taunt from Brewers fans after we lost game 163, even though we still made the postseason. I mean, imagine losing a postseason series to them. Imagine being at Wrigley Field game four and Chris Bryant strikes out to Josh Hader and the Brewers are going to the NLCS and they're celebrating on your field again, again. It just ugh. that thought just because that's how I totally see it going down. Like you yeah. said, maybe not a sweep, but four games. Yeah, I, I'm 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 positive they they would not have won that series. I mean, you look right now. Let's say the Cubs do win the division and they have to go to Atlanta. Atlanta is both scary and not. It's it's one of those teams where you're like, it's going to be a tough team to beat, but you can beat them. Yeah, and, and and the, the pitching matchups should favor the Cubs more times than not I in agree. an Atlanta series, especially when you're when you're going with a three or four man rotation. It, it should favor the Cubs. You know what I kind of want to see? It would be kind of funny. Let's say the Cubs win the division with 88 wins and they go to Atlanta. You know what that would remind everybody of, right? Hmm. Go on. Well, let's see. It involved a Cub team with Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood, Dusty Baker. They won 88 games. They went to Atlanta in the first round. Give me a lot of 2003 flashbacks. The good ones, not the bad ones. The good flashbacks from that season. I mean, it'd be the th- it would be the third time the Cubs would play the Braves in the NLDS if they were to make it there. Uh, We don't think of the Braves as a big rival, really, but if they do play the Braves in the first, if they make it there and they play the Braves in the first round, they will have played the Braves like as much as almost any other team. They've played the Dodgers a number of times over the years, and they'll have played the Braves a number of times. You know, a lot of the other teams you only see once or twice. There'd be a lot of Greg Maddox jerseys at that series well one of my distinct memories was in 03 when they won game five in atlanta old turner field was basically wrigley field georgia i mean out of the fifty thousand some people at turner field i think thirty thousand of them were cub fans just imagine what the cub fans would do to atlanta at that new stadium i mean they would take it over oh yeah without a doubt for that I'd be all for that. But again, I mean, they're going to have to get there. And I know that some people are talking about, well, if this race goes well for the Cubs, maybe if they win the division, they could finish with a better record and the Cubs would have home field. And maybe that would change the structure of your rotation a little bit. But again, I, we're thinking pretty far ahead, so we'll get to that when we get there. It's, it's just things you start thinking about come August. 
I, I wish it, it felt a little more certain. Uh, it could have felt a little more certain. If the Cubs were just 500 on the road, they would have a huge lead right now. But like you said, you can't do anything about the past. Tell me if I'm too negative with this. I tweeted this out, but I want your opinion on this. And you can rail me all you want. After that sweep of Milwaukee, you know, usually those feel good, right? You would say. Sure. All I could think about was the missed opportunities earlier in the season. The missed opportunities against Milwaukee in the last series. The missed opportunities on some of those road games. All I could, I, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about how many games the Cubs would be up if they just won some of those awful losses. I don't know, maybe if it's a product of what happened last year, but that's just how I felt after that sweep. Yeah, I, I, that's fair, I guess. Um, I think that I, I would be more in the same boat if the Cubs were buried by that. I mean, not necessarily buried, uh, but if they were, you know, three or four games back. Sure. Then I, I suppose I, I would be feeling the exact same way and I'd be fuming about uh, past missed opportunities. But uh, but a, as things are right now, they're three and a half games in first place. And so I think you, you just got to look onward. Yeah, I, 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 I know mean, a lot of people with, said the same thing. So. With this bullpen, we knew it was going to be a rocky road. Yeah. I mean, to, to have, you know, what they've got right now, what they're working with, and to to want to be, you know, 10 games in first place with, with that is just wishful thinking. Yeah, I, you're not going to have another 2016 again. Just It would just be nice to have an easy path to the postseason again. I mean, you remember in 2015, they were the second wild card, but they clinched that wild card with, like, a huge lead. It was, it was no question they I, were going to be playing in the postseason. I like it. I like it that they've got two teams on their tail because it, it, makes, it makes the rest of the season enjoyable. I mean, as as awesome as 2016 was, I just really wasn't all that interested in watching regular season games by this point in the year because no, it, because they because they were so far ahead that it was it was just a given that they were going to win the division, and so that really I wasn't as enthralled with uh, games on a day to day basis. But I am this year because every literally every game makes a, a big difference now. And so that that I, I like a tight race, you know, even when it's my favorite team, I think a tight race is just good for the good for the league. Uh, no, I, I totally get that, because I remember in 2016, I mean, I love that season from beginning to end. But I remember like August and September, like they were so far ahead. They were steamrolling everybody. We were all so antsy about the postseason because the expectations for this team were higher than ever. And we were praying that it was finally going to be the year and not like just make it to the playoffs and then completely flop in the first round after a a magical season. But I mean, I remember just some of those games. I'm like, I know this sounds backwards, but I'm like, they're so good. It's almost boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the way I felt. I mean, we got to August and the Cubs are on TV and it's just like, what's the point? You know, win or lose, it's still going to be 20 games in first place. I mean, I watched every game still, and I, I enjoyed it. But but yeah, it's like that August and September kind of dragged a little bit. I guess the only fun thing was seeing Joe Madden do just completely unorthodox lineups because it didn't really matter. But, you know, you're, you're probably not going to see that again with where they are. 
And, you know, maybe I'm not wishing for them to be like 15 plus games up like they were that year, but I just wish their cushion was a little bigger, like a six or seven. Well, I mean, like like we've talked about all night, it could be. It could be shortly here. That would be nice. I mean, this next road trip can define a lot of things. If they play well in this road trip and Milwaukee and St. Louis are doing all right, not great, but all right, you could still create a little bit of separation as long as you play well. So that's what you got to hope for. Yes. Well, that pretty much wraps up all my thoughts tonight. I don't know if you had anything else to add to the show. Nope. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening this edition of climbing the Ivy. Adam, I want to thank you as always for coming aboard. Be sure to check out Cubby's crib at cubbyscrib.com. You can check out this podcast on iTunes.com. Be on the lookout for Cubby's crib's tweets. They tweet all the articles, podcasts, and all the good things that happen at Cubby's crib. So be sure to follow them on Twitter. Until next week, he's Adam, I'm Alex. Have a great night.